Alumni Audio Lab. I am Doris Obrecht and you are listening to Alumni Audio Lab, a bi-monthly podcast from the OEAD. This is Austria's Agency for Education and Internationalization. In these podcasts, I talk with alumni of OEAD who have all studied or done research in Austria. We talk about their lives, their research, their backgrounds, and sometimes also about current events and developments. This is episode 34, and my guest today is conducting research in a very interesting field. I am happy to introduce you to Jessica Virginia from Indonesia. Hi, Jessica. Hello, Doris. Jessica started her studies with a bachelor's and master's degree in biotechnology from the Atmayaya Catholic University of Indonesia. In 2018, she came to Austria and is currently working on her PhD thesis at the University of Natural Resources and Life Sciences in Vienna at BOKU. She's a scholarship holder of an Ernst Mach ASEA Uninet grant. Her focus in research lies mainly on processing residues from palm oil production for animal food or bioenergy. Am I right, Jessica, about that? Actually, not quite yet. Actually, uh, that is more for the further downstream process or for further the application should this project is really successful. Jessica, thank you for virtually meeting with me today and welcome to the Alumni Audio Lab. Ah, thank you, Doris. Jessica, you are my second guest from Indonesia, and both of you started your bachelor studies as early as 18 years of age. Is it usual for stu students in your country to do this so young? Yes, uh, because basically we will finish our senior high school around 17 or 18 years old. And then after that, um, normally if you go to the senior high school, you will go to the university. Basically, that's the rule of thumb. But for some people who didn't go to the senior high school, they can go to this kind of so same degree of senior high school, but they are more uh, specific to certain subject. For example, engineering, machine stuff. Then they can go directly for I don't know work or uh, yeah, more like college thingy, not not university. Basically, yeah. Are there a lot of young people studying in Indonesia or is it rather an elite, a smaller one? Uh, it's very hard to make a general uh, terms for this because Indonesia is a very big archipelago. So uh, there are a lot of islands. So for the five big islands, uh, I would say it's very common for people to go to school. But for some people who stay in a small island or maybe in a big island but very remote area, I don't think it's... You can do that, but not so common, even until this century, I would say. Although the education, I have to emphasize now, is free for free if you go to the public school. But still, not so many people can do that due to a lot of reasons. You were a scholarship holder of different grants in Asia, like Thailand or China or Singapore. And then, as I said in the beginning, in 2018, you came to Austria to do your PhD. Why did you choose Europe and Austria for that? Ah, yeah. So first, I really want to know how the European or not specific European, but how the developed country think, like the people in the developed country think. 
Um, and I think it's a very big difference between Asia and Western uh, culture, um, not culture, but the way of they think of something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the best way to really know about this is to live together with them or mm-hmm. I think. And, and yes. what are the main differences in thinking that you recognize? Like most of the time here, everything is already very systematic and the people are willing to go by the rule. Uh-huh. Yeah, but in at least in my country, the system is almost there or maybe it's there, but then the people are not willing to do or to yeah to go by the rule something <laughs> like that <laughs> okay i don't know it's a bad thing or not yeah uh, it's just a different thing it's just a d- different thing and then why austria to be specific actually i really mm, want to go to the country where there's not so much uh, not so many indonesian people there because uh, uh, we really like together the indonesian culture is, is really like together like socialized together with all the Indonesian people. So, you know, people from the same country tends to do stuff together, right? Or at least in Indonesia, we do like that. So uh, why I don't want to be in the country where there's a lot of Indonesia? Because then I cannot really uh, make a network with the other people from the other country. I mean, naturally, I also always want to be with them maybe in the weekends or something like that but then if there's not so many Indonesian people then I have a limited option right or yeah I was forced to socialize with other people something like that Mm -hmm. I think it's rather natural if you're abroad that you bond somehow with people from the same country as you but I totally understand what you mean Uh, how have you experienced your first months here in Vienna actually it's quite hard it's uh, harder than I imagine because Going abroad or doing this away from your family, it's it's a common thing for me. At, at least I experienced that when I did my master degree or do some training overseas. But uh, I don't know why, but the first months coming to uh, Austria is already very hard. I'm not sure, is it because of the weather? Like all the Viennese always blame the weather. <laughs> 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 I, I came in November, so oh, it's the wow. weather is very harsh, I would say. I think that's the mm. hardest time to come to Vienna the first time because it's yes, gray true. and cold and wet. <laughs> true, true. Actually, it's very true. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I have a lot of friends here, all the Viennese friends or, or the international friends and even the Indonesian friend. I, I got it here, but it's just, I, I don't know, I feel feel not like uh, very easy to adapt not like before at least but this is something personal but then everything has got much better and then yeah i'm okay with that yeah and also maybe the age thing is might be a influence this might be because when i came here i'm already 30 32 or something yes ar- around that no, 31 yeah i was 31 when i came here uh, and it's super different when I started all the master and so on, where I am still 20th something. Yeah, m- might be. That might be um, influence how you adapt to changes. I think the, the younger you are, the faster you can adapt. Do I hear it right? You've been abroad for your master's as well, for your yes. master's degree. And where? Yeah. 
It it was in Thailand. This was in Thailand. Okay, and and what were the main differences you you recognized from going abroad to Thailand, which is an Asian country, rather than to Europe, which is an European country, uh, to, to <laughs> Austria, which is a European country. <laughs> the life is super different, I would say. So in Thailand, you will always find an open market or night market everywhere and then they sell a very good uh, food with a very cheap uh, price and it's super effect or influence your mood I would say but you cannot find just an open market somewhere in Vienna not even on Sunday <laughs> not even on Sunday it's, it's also one of my problem where the supermarket is closed on Sunday I mean <laughs> it's very new <laughs> in my country everything open maybe 24 hours or yeah and every day yes what is the scholarship situation within asia is it easier to get a grant for other asian countries than for europe or for austria in your case i think for austria uh, for, uh, for especially for the doctorate this is the only uh, scholarship that i know and even for this i'm not sure that the advertising is i mean it's not as famous as erasmus or as famous as this in indonesia it's very famous for this aas is australian scholarship thingy but not for the austrian for the especially for this oead for the ernest Machgran. it's not quite that famous even for me i knew it from my professor Uh, I accidentally met him in one conference in one conference in Yogyakarta and then we talked and then he told me about this uh, scholarship and I didn't know before even though I'm kind of a scholarship hunter before. <laughs> ah, I was here be actually before I got this uh, scholarship from OEADE. I came already to Vienna to get interview for a doctoral project but not to Boku. It's another institute is a IST Institute of Science and Technology. It was in 2016, but still, it's not a you know not scholarship like the OAD have. It's by project. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So let's let's talk uh, about your PhD thesis. I'm I'm not sure if I mixed up your, what you're doing. So I ask my question. If I'm wrong, <laughs> please correct me. In your PhD thesis, you are conducting research on palm kernel meal. What is that and what are you doing with it? That is actually not for my PhD, but is it was my previous work in the private company back in Indonesia. So palm kernel meal is the part, uh, uh, do you know uh, palm oil? Yeah. So the oil of this palm oil is coming from the fruits, right? They press the fruit uh, and then they got the oil. But then the fruit has the kernel or the seed. And then the seed also have oil, which is more expensive than the palm oil. This oil you can use as a cocoa butter substitute and so on for the application. So the kernel, when you press it, it will have an uh, it will give you an oil, which where the oil is actually more valuable or more pricey than the uh, palm oil. However, after the kernel is pressed to get the oil, then the kernel uh, you yeah basically it's a biomass, right? So uh, my project back then is how to give a value added for this uh, kernel. 
in Europe, there is a big public debate on palm oil. NGOs and activists believe that there is no sustainable way to grow palms for oil production and that huge areas are being grabbed up for that. Even local supermarket chains like Spar claim that their own brand products are palm oil free. Do you see negative impacts of this debate in Indonesia or do you know this debate? I knew this debate. Of course, I work for this industry and we also have a problem or now I cannot say we, but they also have a problem with the NGO and stuff with, yeah. Uh, but I think this is always a two side of coin where you see this kind of, uh, environmentally uh, friendly stuff. Actually, for the palm oil, it's the only oil or the only uh, product that require a lot of documents to be exported. Like a lot. And it's all coming from the European or maybe, I, I think European, I'm not sure about the USA uh, for this documentation stuff. Actually, they have a point. They have a very good point about the sustainability of the palm oil. However, you know, they have this kind of certificate if you can complete this called RSPO, Roundtable Sustainable Palm Oil, where we as a producer of the palm oil or someone who working in the palm oil have this kind of checklist. Okay, I did this, I did this, I did this, which is kind of guarantee that you already give a sustainable process. But I also need to point out that the system that is played back in countries who grow palm oil, maybe they're not doing it quite well. So the system is actually very good. But so for example, I will just give an example. Uh, for every oil palm plantation, you have to give this kind of secure area, kind of like, what do you call this? Like a... You mean a national park or... Some something? kind of national mm -hmm. park, but not that sophisticated. Not... <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yes. So some part that you cannot interfere. Actually, they do it, but then they do it in a different area, you know. So, for example, if you have 100 meter of... 100 meter square of oil palm plantation, you have to have minimum 30 or maybe another 100 meter square of this national park kind of thing. They do it, but then they don't, they didn't do it in the one whole area of 100 meter square of this national park. They do it in like maybe here is 30, the other is 30. So, you know, it was separated. So it doesn't really make sense, right? How How is the palm oil production organized in Indonesia? Is this local firms or foreign firms uh, who um. looks who controls all that stuff and yeah actually the government has the regulation or at least they make the regulation but still for the producer most of the the big producer is the private company or the one who is coming from outside so investor is indonesia's palm oil mainly for export or own use Export. It's mostly export. Oh. Yes. Um, and actually it's exported a lot. Or maybe the derivatives is exported a lot to Europe, country, European country. Because I, I was working with this palm kernel meal. It was used for the cattle meal, for like for cow and so on. It's very good for them. Uh, so it was exported to either Australia or European where they have a lot of cows. We don't have a lot of cows. 
Okay, so it's it's also in, in Europe used for cow feeding or cattle feeding. This cattle feeding, yes, and that's actually that that was my previous project. I have to manage how to give a value added for the spam kernel meal to be used for our local production. So for the chicken feed, because we have a lot of chicken. Okay, then let's now talk about your um, current research. Sorry for mixing this up. No, no, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Actually, I really, I also want to, yeah, I know that the oil palm is negative and so on. But yeah, we have to always look into sides, I think. Because uh, I think some people said, yeah, is it much better, for example, if you have this plantation of, I don't know, wood to make a furniture for Ikea for a lot of hectares and you also cut it down? Isn't it the same? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so what is your PhD thesis about? Okay, so my PhD thesis is about enzyme coming from bacteria. So uh, where this enzyme, uh, hopefully have a potential use for uh, degradation of lignin. Mm-hmm. What is lignin? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, lignin is the... So in the plant, you know the, the brown color in the plant? Yeah, that, that's basically what, what, what is this lignin, where uh, this lignin will... Uh, making a knot with the other plant, uh, cell, plant cell wall component. So the plant cell wall is made of this hemicellulose, cellulose, and lignin. And lignin is the one that is tying all this all together, like wrapping up. What are you trying to do with this lignin? The lignin part is actually the application part. So what we are trying to do is to degrade the lignin if it's, yeah. But it's very for downstream process. Mm -hmm. And what for? Uh, So the lignin is uh, actually, the degradation of lignin will help to make the process easier for example uh, the hemicellulose in the plant cell wall you can use it for or the cellulose you can use it for the paper uh, industry yeah tissue and so on but then uh, it's not so easy to take only the cellulose you have to remove the lignin and that is the very hard part normally for the industrial process you will use a chemical treatment with the sodium hydroxide or so on which is quite harmful to the environment so for the with the enzyme treatment, uh, we hope it will be uh, environmentally friendly. So you're looking for a sustainable way to get rid of the lignin to use the cellulose easier? Yes, more like that. But I really need to point this out that it is very downstream process like for the application. And my project is actually very uh, more like to basic research where uh, we want to know if the bacteria able to de- degrade lignin. Because normally if you... Ah, now is actually the right time to go to hiking in the wood, right? If you uh, went somewhere in the wood, you can find a fallen tree maybe where there is a fungi growing on it normally. And then the fungi can grow on that, on that tree, on that bark or the fallen tree because they able to somehow degrade the lignin so that they can uh, grow there. If the fungi can do it, then the question, can bacteria also do it? And then that's why we've, we want to try to prove that, yeah, how bacteria can degrade this lignin. Uh, and let me ask this question, if the fungi uh, is able to do it, why don't just use fungi for that? Why does it need to be bacteria that degrade lignin? It's 
doesn't necessarily have to be bacteria if you if you want to do it for application for industrial process it doesn't really need to be bacteria basically industry doesn't care if it's come from bacteria or fungal as long as the enzyme work it works yeah but we want to know how just how mm-hmm. how it works you know how how it works yeah i think that is that is very important to be answered otherwise we will never know so there is also a hypothesis where the this is not necessarily the lignin degradation degrading genes the family of genes that um included in this lignin degradation and based on the research to date that the genes in the fungal for this lignin degradation thing is coming from bacteria like um transfer from bacteria to the fungal the hypothesis yeah so we want to prove it like is if it's the hypothesis then should be the bacteria can also have a lot of that kind of that kind of genes um i have read that these enzymes are produced biotechnologically or artificially nearly exclusively nowadays why can't they be extracted from nature uh because normally if you extract the enzyme from nature the yield is not that high so if you you want to do like industrial process you of course need a very large amount of enzyme that's why uh you do this kind of recombination production you said you are working on if seeing if this enzyme which is coming from bacteria can degrade lignin what are other areas of application for enzymes so which areas what areas of application do you see for enzymes in daily life Uh, enzyme have a very useful for our daily life like broad but for my specific enzyme that I'm work currently working on it's not only for a uh, lignin stuff but there's also for this uh, making an aminated carbohydrate so it's a material uh, for making a polymer basically for any polymer and then you can incorporate this enzyme the one that i currently working on with the other enzyme then you can make this aminated carbohydrate mm-hmm. but for the other enzyme it's a lot you can find it i think almost everywhere so as you said your phd thesis is mostly basic research is this the field where your heart lies or are you more into applied research this is a bit hard to answer because i really have a passion in basic research like i am just curious basically just i just want to know about the application yeah you can go to the other person maybe they can find the application i think but yeah for for me personally i'm just curious how this work and and so on yeah but of course the application is very important as well otherwise where does this research go but I can say that in terms of passion I think I'm more to the basic research than the applied science but yeah applied science is also very very important sure, I'm sure, not singling sure. out <laughs> I'm not singling out the applied science without the applied science basic research have no meaning and also vice versa I think and your former research was this was more applied research or yes yeah I'm um, not very applied risk. Yeah, more to how to say because we already have the established ground for that. So you already had the basic research. My previous project is also we we try to find the genes for this mananase so to to treat this this palm kernel meal. 
but we know that this kind of enzyme or this kind of gene has the activity you already know for sure there's another reports about this and so on so it's not as difficult as this one for this one that i'm currently working on it's a very novel enzyme they don't even know if this is a active enzyme or not so i i need to find a way to prove is it really an enzyme and so on and so on yeah there's a very big difference is there any competition between applied and basic research nowadays do you see something do you feel something to be totally honest i don't really know about how the funding for the applied science or the basic research here in austria i didn't know about that but at least in indonesia uh, i think the indonesian research funding is very small so <laughs> i cannot <really laughs> yeah yeah but at least when when the in the company that i worked before the funding for the basic research is a lot i cannot say the one that i didn't know so in terms of vienna or the other i cannot say but yeah in my previous experience um yeah for the basic research we have a lot of funding in in the company that i worked before i've read in your documents and in your applications that you wrote on several parts about sustainable and green energy production in Indonesia. Is the issue of sustainable and green energy production a matter under discussion in Indonesia in general? Is it a thing? Um, I think it's not as big thing as in Europe for this green energy production and so on. I think it's more like people is not aware about these environment friendly stuff. I think they are more concerned about what do they, what can they eat today, basically. <laughs> yeah, they don't think a lot about this and green energy stuff. And the awareness of the people there is not as high as uh, people here. So the, the, the use, I don't know, for the green thing, maybe here is very common to have a solar panel or, yeah, in the roof. Yeah, at least what I saw. And also for the wind energy and so on, but in Indonesia, not so many. You are the student speaker of the Biotop doctoral program at Boku, which is a, it's a young researchers program or researchers program for this biotechnological um, research. What responsibilities do you have in this role? Ah, yes. Uh, so it's more like to organize the event for the students for the biotop students and also maybe, you know, making some Christmas party or if there's any issue in the students or so on. Talking also with the maybe supervisor. So it's more internal organization responsibilities. and so Yes, it's more mm -hmm. to internal organization, yes. So actually for this biotop, I'm, I'm just uh, go into this program after I got the scholarship from OAD. Biotop is internal for, not internal, so it was basically the collaboration between Boku and FWF. So six months of, or maybe four months after I got here, my supervisor just came to me uh, because he's also a PI for this Biotop thing and he asked, do you want to join this program because it has several advantages. But uh, in the downside, not really downside, but then what do you need to do is you have to, uh, I have to complete it 42 ECTS instead of only 16, I think. 
So normal PhD pro program in Boku, uh, it only requires 16 ECTS, but for this one, I require 42 ECTS. Yeah, so he asked whether I want to do it or not, but then I think, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good program, I would say. Okay, what is it about exactly? Biotope is the short of biomolecular technology of protein. So people from the other departments who work with protein is like joining together through this kind of screening. So there's a screening for students who want to enter the biotope, the selection. Then you have the advantage of you can go abroad for six months and you are also paid for conference. Because I think the OAD uh, Ernest Ma doesn't cover for conferences, yeah, for the fee and so on. And you also have a network with the other people who works basically with the protein. As enzyme is a protein, basically. So, yeah. And it really, really helps a lot. Because you cannot just rely on your group or, or yeah, to solve your problem in the research. But sometimes talking to the other people who is uh, not really in the same group with you, but, you know, have the knowledge about the same stuff. It really, really helps a lot. How do you deal with COVID-19 as a researcher, but also personally? Oh, that is a very hard thing for this COVID, especially because my work really de- uh, require me to be in the laboratory. I cannot work through the computer before I get the data, basically. And then most of data I can only gain in the lab. So it's very hard. I think I lost almost three months or more because of this COVID, because I cannot go to work. So you can't go to work right now? Now I can. Now it's already can. But still, uh, you have to go to work only if it's necessary. And then the hardest part is like if you need to discuss something with the other people. Because be, uh, before the COVID era, you can just meet people and then discuss your problem. Uh, but then after COVID, we have the shift. And then you are in the morning shift and the other person in the afternoon shift. And you need to discuss something. Yes. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. Yeah, it's an unfortunate event. But then, yeah we have just to move on. <laughs> and I know you're in Austria right now and already for a rather long time, but can you tell our listeners what life in Indonesia and the COVID is like? What is your family and your friends are telling, what are they telling you? Ah, okay. So I didn't, I will go for, for this uh, current uh, status. I'm very surprised that both of my parents already vaccinated back in Indonesia oh. where I still not. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> I already bragged to them that, oh yeah, in, I think I bragged to them in January that, yeah, I already got this for, oh, what is it, registration for this vaccine and so on. And then I think I will be the first in the family to get vaccinated. Turns out not. <laughs> okay, so Indonesia <laughs> is better yeah. organized with vaccination than Austria. I don't know, is it better organized or not? Maybe here is better organized, but I'm, I'm not sure about the... How to say the people who give the vaccine to you, maybe it's less people or yeah, or they really go through the priority stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Where in Indonesia, you can do it like, um, so the government give this kind of, not a priority list, but I'm not, I don't know what it, what is it called? 
But so uh, a company basically can make a arrangement by themselves and then vaccinated their own employee. Okay. So it's not as well organized as in Austria, but it's maybe easier to get the vaccine if you're in the right group or right company. Yeah, I think it's, I th I'm not sure uh, if I'm the correct person to state this, but I think, <laughs> I think in Indonesia, the goal is not go through the priority list, but go to as much as people as you can. Starting from, and I think I was also, or at least my family also got that advantage because we are staying in the capital. So yeah, it's mostly the capital is the priority. I have one or two more topics. In 2019, you presented Indonesia at the OED within the framework of an OED country talk. This is a series of events where scholarship holders present their countries internationally. There is music and speeches from official national representatives, among other things. How do you feel about your country? Is Indonesia a country with a lot of national pride? Are people generally patriotic? Um, national pride, I would say maybe not, or maybe patriotic also not but it's just when we are away <laughs> i think we are feels like patriotic <laughs> but when we are i think how do you uh, score someone is patriotic or a country is patriotic or not best based on the the stuff that they buy right so uh, is are they uh, support more to the local brand or more to the international brand and i think uh, to date uh, people are still looking for you know Western brand compared to the local brand. I mean, both have the same, if you have a same quality uh, of, for example, a bag, local brand and Western brand, I don't know, they will prefer the, the Western brand compared to the local brand. So I don't, yeah. Because, it's, are, because uh, it's foreign and it's cool and it's nice to have a Western brand. It's it like might status? be, yeah, might be. So I would say it's not a patriotic. Yeah. One of your goals, according to your application for this scholarship, was to learn the local language of Austria. Have you been able to learn German yet? I learned German, it's just failed. <laughs> <laughs> I already failed in the Der Didas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're a beginner. It's not failing, it's learning. <laughs> I, true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's a some limit <laughs> where you determine yourself a failure or you just you know <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm i really i actually i like to learn language it's just maybe the time is not correct yeah because i came here in november where uh, the language course is course is already started in october normally And then I missed one semester and then the second semester, the laboratory, laboratory work is already occupied me. So I also cannot go uh, to the language course. Yes. Yeah. I, I just uh, registered for the language course, I think one year ago. And now everything is closed already for a year. So it's also difficult to use German in everyday life to oh, yeah, meet true. people and go to restaurants and everything. But I, I actually, I really like to know about the language because there is a talk in, I watch a lot TED Talk. Did you watch it? Yeah. yeah so sure. where the language shape how you think, how people think. I really like it. So that's why I, I, I really want to know what about this German language because a lot of discovery coming from German, right? 
or a German language country, not German, sorry. German language country, yeah. German language country, not German, sorry. <laughs> not only, not only German. No. Yeah, Germany, yeah. yeah. You're a passionate pianist. Do you have one here in Austria? Do you play regularly? Uh, no, unfortunately not, because, yeah, I don't have the piano here. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm staying in the student dorm where they have this uh, Klavier Raum, but I think people registered or there, there's a lot of queue for that room. And most of them are these uh, music students from, I don't know. And I'm just playing for to release my stress. Actually, yes, I'm not a good pianist. <laughs> I just play whatever song that I want. <laughs> yeah. But before I can play it in the embassy, in the Indonesian embassy in Austria. Before the lockdown, yeah. you mean? Before the lockdown, we have this... Uh, Anklung exercise every Saturday. Yeah, and then I can play a bit of a piano there. Mm -hmm. Where is it, is it also very interesting because my other Austrian friends say that it's very weird that we are playing in the embassy, just playing around. Never heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the, for the Austrian, they never play around in the embassy. They say it's just like coming to the police station. I say, what? <laughs> Uh, that's why it's a very different culture, I would say, because here we are. It's very common. They are like, uh, yeah, it's maybe because it's far from our country. Uh, I mean, we are far from Indonesia, and then when you meet uh, these people, then it's kind of like a family or yeah, something like that. Nice gathering, yeah, but not too much. Otherwise, you will not socialize with the other people. Yes, <laughs> we're coming to our last question. What are your plans for the near and the middle near future i really hope to finish or uh, this uh, project for my phd project but at the same time i'm i think i need more time to finish this stuff that's why i am i am applying for another funding for this marietta blau i think oh yeah they also arranged this funding yeah so i'm applying for that and also my second supervisor in toronto already gave her acceptance letter to uh, take me there. So I hope I can pass this Marietta Blau grant selection and then go to Toronto to, yeah. For more research. For more, yeah. For the, this one is actually for more application for uh, the enzyme that I'm working on. Okay, Jessica, I thank you most sincerely for this very interesting conversation and I wish you good luck for the future and your PhD and for hopefully for Toronto. Oh, hopefully, yes. Let's see how COVID goes. Yes. This was Jessica Virginia from Indonesia. She's currently a PhD scholarship holder at the Boku University in Vienna. Thank you for listening to Alumni Audio Lab, a podcast of the OEAD. All previous episodes can be found at our website oead.at slash alumni minus audio lab. Alumni Audio Lab.